Amen. I do like receiving gifts. And that is the greatest one. Let's stand together. And for the reading of God's Word, Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verses 1 through 15 this morning. Kind of some interesting passages of Scripture, aren't they, that I'm coming up with for Christmas. And this one especially, Second Chronicles 21 through 15. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, This is what the Lord says to me. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You may be seated. I remember it very well, very well. I was in the fourth grade at OK Elementary School on the west side of Wichita, and we were playing kickball. That was one of the favorites of boys during recess. We had recess in the morning and afternoon, by the way, and Had a lot of fun. I was in the fourth grade, and Billy was in the fifth grade, and Billy was not a bully, but he was a tough kid, tougher than that kid looks. And uh, he was a nice, uh, the kind of guy that you didn't want to mess with as a fourth grader. You just want to mind your business, don't ruffle Billy. Uh, But he was, he was just that kind of kid. But on that particular day, we're playing kickball, and the ball goes airborne and hits Billy in the face and hits his glasses and breaks the temple piece on the side. Billy, this tough kid that we had all grown accustomed to as being tough, slumped to the ground in tears. 
And of course, we're all thinking to ourselves, Billy, you're a tough kid. What's going on here? Why are you crying? This is not like Billy. But all of a sudden, Billy began to explain to us, I'm crying because my father told me, if you break your glasses again, that is it. This is the third time now I have broken my glasses. And I remember as a little fourth grade boy, even though Billy was not a friend, and Billy was the kind of guy I kind of was a little bit afraid of, I really began to feel for Billy. I began to picture a father who was going to come after him with a, a razor strap or a board or whatever and kill this fifth grade boy. I began to worry about him. I also remember very well years ago, a gentleman walked into my office and uh, his wife attended church. He had never attended. I met him in town there and he called and asked if he could come back for a visit. And as he sat in my office in church that day, he began to confide in me and share with me that his actions in his marriage just may very well have cost him his marriage. A very unwise thing that he did in a moment of temptation. And I remember feeling for this man in my office who was obviously hurting and, and uh, feeling shamed and, and uh, regretting very deeply the actions that he had had just a few days previous to that. I remember also years ago going to the home of another man. He was there all alone out there in the country home and he was a farmer and his wife and baby girl were in town at a friend's house. She was on the phone calling an agent, seeing if there was a plane ticket she could get to get home to Phoenix, Arizona, because she was going to go home to Mama and leave her husband. And I would ask why. Here was a young couple, married four or five years maybe. Uh, they were both raised in loving Christian homes. They both had steady jobs. They they, they depicted to be the, the happy young couple family with a little girl less than a year old. But here I was in their home, and here was a man who was, who was very shamed and remorseful and teary-eyed and a very broken man. Why? Because in a moment of anger and a very stupid decision, he lashed out and thrust a fist into his wife's shoulder. And she was just terrified, devastated. Can you think of people who have been broken in such ways like that? I think you can. Perhaps some of you, as, as I'm sharing things, are even thinking to yourself, there have been things in my own life that, that I think I have done that have been similar things where something has been broken in my life. Sometimes we're broken because of the choices of others, aren't we? There are things that come along and we just feel like everything is broken. Sometimes it's, it's a result of our own actions, our own choices. And sometimes it's, it's just simply because things get so out of control and life just has its way of doing those things and you are broken. What is broken? Let's define it here at least with one dictionary. To be broken means to be separated forcibly into parts, fractured, shattered, ruptured. It means also in another instance to be crushed in feeling or spirit, to be humbled, to be contrite. That is definition of broken. To be made inferior, weakened. To be reduced or shattered in your estate, your, your fortune, your ruined 
Financially, you have become bankrupt. All different ways of thinking of becoming broken. I don't know if you've been following the tragic news surrounding Penn State University in, in recent days. If you care anything about sports, football, you, you know what's going on. And those people associated with, with Penn State, to them it is, it is really tragic and shameful. But I want you to put your shoes into the shoes of a Penn State alumni right now. You know, to, to those people, Penn State is just it. It's the same way with a lot of universities across the nation. People that have been alumni of schools, it, their university is everything to them. It stands for everything. And, and uh, Penn State University, you know, they've produced national football champions and and Penn State University alumni people are all over this nation in, in political positions, in, as judges and uh, doctors and all kinds of things in our, in our country, an institution of high academics and an institution that everybody thought of as having very high integrity. But the recent revelations of child sexual abuse have just rocked the world of Penn State University. To many, it is like it is broken. It is shattered. My alma mater. And in a town meeting, town hall meeting type of thing last week, they, they filled the hall with students and alumni and all kinds of people. And on the platform, they put a panel of, of 10 people, administration and faculty people. And and they could interact and ask questions. And one of those students said this question or brought this to the attention. The, the student stand and said, I just feel like my hope and my confidence in my university has been shattered. How can I get past this? How can I go on? How can I believe in my university again? You know, when brokenness comes into our lives, we have similar feelings, such as, I've lost my hope and my confidence. How, how can I get past this? How can I go on in life? How can I believe again? But I watched that town hall meeting as one of those students, as they stood up and asked that question, there was kind of a pause and then one of those administrative people responded with this answer. And they were very brave because it wasn't really the response people were wanting. But it was the right response. The, the person said, well, here is what we can do. The tragedy can actually serve to make us better people. A better institution. If we will work at it, if we will do what we're supposed to do with this, if we will let it, it can actually be something that will serve us better down the road. Do you know that the Christ of Christmas came to people who are broken and in crisis situations? We should not get so caught up in the beauty of Christmas and all the details of Christmas being just right and all the gift giving and receiving and so on that we forget that Christ came to broken people. Isn't that what it's really all about? He came to us in our brokenness. In fact, Jesus later on, when he grew up and became a man, he said, it is not to the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. I guess if I would break it down into my paraphrase, it would be Jesus said, I have not come to people who are well and not broken, but I've come to people who are broken. They're the ones that I have come to. Well, let God's Spirit minister to you, to us today, as we look into God's Word and His answers for brokenness. The people of Judah are in a broken, desperate situation. What is going on? Well, an invading army is coming up from the Southland. In fact, it's already halfway there as word has gotten to King Jehoshaphat. It is made up of three different armies, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and some from the Meunite army. And and the scripture says it's not just an army. This is a vast army. This is not a, a good time. And uh, Jehoshaphat says they are coming with they are coming with the intention of taking the land away from them and probably knowing that the day that they're talking about when armies fought each other they intend to also kill us by the sword. King Jehoshaphat also acknowledged the fact that we don't stand a chance. There's no way so we're talking about a pretty bad situation. I mean, really bad. And, and really, if you want to think about it, utter brokenness is just right on the horizon for these people. They fear that they will be separated and fractured and crushed and humbled and weakened and reduced to nothing, made bankrupt. All those definitions of brokenness, right? Total and utter brokenness. So put yourself in the shoes of the Israelite at that time. I don't envy them at all. Do you? Brokenness on the horizon. What do they do? What was God's answer as this is coming on them? Well, let's look at that. Number one, they acknowledged what was going on. And that is what we need to do when we are broken. Acknowledge what was going on. And Jehoshaphat did that very thing. He looked at the situation, he saw it beyond his control and the Israelites, and he utterly just it just admitted to the fact that I cannot take care of this on my own. It's beyond me. Do you know that God is not only touched, but God really has our attention when we get like that? Isaiah fifty seven fifteen says, For this is what the high and lofty one says. I live in a high and lofty place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is touched when we are broken. And when we come to him and we acknowledge we are broken. I think Michael uh, Chad testified to that this morning. God had your attention when you were contrite, broken. God made this world. He made this universe, the ocean, the skies, the trees, and the animals and everything. Why? Because God had this hobby. It was fun. You know why he did it? Because his highest creation, he made it for us. If God went to all that trouble to make this this everything out there for you and me, doesn't that tell you a little bit about what he feels about you? I think it does. 
the prize of all His creation. He cares for us. And when we admit to what's going on in our lives, the brokenness, God really takes note. The second thing they did, King Jehoshaphat, is they earnestly turned to the Lord. And I like that word earnestly because we haven't worn it out. It is seldom used by us, is it? Isn't it? You don't go around saying, well, I earnestly did this. I earnestly did that. We've worn out a lot of other words, but not this word, earnest. So what does earnest mean? It means to be very serious. It means that there's something in your life that you don't trifle around with or pretend with. It means that you're going after something with full throttle, with serious intent. So to earnestly turn to the Lord means just that. A serious matter. You will not get sidetracked. You will seek Him with all your heart. And and uh, this is not like you hear some exciting diet program and you go out and you buy it and then two weeks later it's kind of gone. No, this is this is different. This is serious. This is earnestness. The brokenness inside of you compels you to really seek the Lord. So what did the Israelites do? They fasted. They came together to Jerusalem from all over the country. They cried together. They, in unison, they, they came together in their distress. And, and you know that there's something interesting about fasting. Never in the Bible, in the Levitical law, the first five books of the Bible, where you get all the rules and the instructions and everything, how to do something, the Bible never tells anything about fasting there doesn't tell you how to do it, when to do it, uh, why to do it. Here's all the... It, it never comes up in the Levitical law. And I find that fascinating as I, as I realize that. God gave no instructions. Yet Jesus talked about fasting, how it was important, didn't he? I wonder how fasting came along in the first place. Well, think about it this way. It must have been kind of a natural thing. It must have been that some people were so broken and so earnest and wanting something so bad in spirit and soul that that trumped the feelings down here in their stomach. And they gave up meals because there was something so driving inside of them. They said, we just got to pray. Food is the furthest thing from our mind right now. And so they began to fast. People fast today for other reasons. They fast for medical reasons. They fast for tests. They fast sometimes to prove a point. But a spiritual fast is heaviness of heart and soul. And these Israelites went to fasting because they were pretty heavy in heart and soul and in distress and And it was a natural thing. And when we fast under those kind of circumstances, we have God's attention. It doesn't mean we manipulate God, but we have His attention. God says, I see someone who is earnest and broken. And it means something to them. And God listens. We have His attention. Number three is that we need to build up our faith in God. In verse 12 we read, But our eyes are upon you. 
You see, God allowed them to size up the situation. God allowed them to evaluate things, to look it over. And they did that. And in verse 12 reads, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And it's okay for you and I to size up the situation, to look it over, to tell the Lord about it. And uh, we are to bring our request and, and our issues to the Lord, aren't we? But then it's time to start putting trust in God. And that's exactly what they did. They sized it all up. They said, this army is too vast. But then look at the faith that began to build in them. Oh, God, we have no power to face this vast army, but our eyes are upon you. And I think sometimes we fail at that point, don't we? God wants to build our faith. He is so into making us stronger on the inside. And the only way that he can do that is you and I have to go through the tough times. You don't build your faith by just saying, oh, I want that. It's kind of like dieting. Oh, I I want that. But something has to take place. Something has to happen. And uh, the only way to do it is to go through the tough times, to experience the brokenness, but then to really focus on God. What happens when you don't focus on God? When the hard times come, when you're broken, when times are not good, what happens when you don't focus on God? Here's some things that happen. We always then try to do it in our own power. Can you imagine these Israelites saying, the army's too great, it's too vast, but hey, maybe there's some plan we can come up with. No, impossible. You and I, in in our brokenness, sometimes in our crises, we still try to figure things out. And we don't put our faith in God, and God is waiting. Sometimes in our brokenness, such as some of the situations I, I brought up, Satan will come in and And he comes in with this loud voice and tries to convince us, oh no, you can't be forgiven. Your sin is too great. Your sin is too awful. Or Satan will try to convince us the problem is too big. Or Satan will keep you all tied up in knots. And Satan will make you try to figure it out in your power. And then you'll fail. And then you'll drive yourself into a deeper hole. And that leads us to the fourth point. When you face brokenness, remember to give your brokenness totally to God. And that's what we find happen in our scripture story. In verse 15, Jehaziel speaks a word from the Lord. And he says this from the Lord who is speaking to them. The battle is not yours, but God's. Now, here's an interesting thing to think about. Brokenness, as Christians, is supposed to lead to brokenness. That that sounds like that doesn't even make sense. But let me explain a minute. Brokenness leads to brokenness. Brokenness comes to our lives in many ways. Maybe a loss, a misfortune, one of our own doing something we do wrong. Maybe it's a result of sin in our lives. And sometimes we do need to confess. Sometimes we need to repent if there's brokenness in our lives. But brokenness comes in other ways. But when you're broken in that kind of state, let it lead to a second kind of brokenness. And that is this. We realize I'm not only in a broken situation, but I am broken and bankrupt 
in how to fix it, how to handle it. You know, that's turning to God, and you know He waits for that. He just waits for that in our lives. We give our brokenness to God, and that is what being contrite is all about. And we get God's attention, and it's not a bad thing at all to happen. It can be a very, very good thing. But the thing to remember is that we make the choice about that. You know when you grow the most in your walk with Christ? When you're broken. You do. I know many of you pretty well by now. And if I had the time and if I wouldn't embarrass you, I could point to things in your life and share with the congregation and say, I remember when you went through that. I remember when we prayed for you. And now that you're through it, I can see how you are a closer person to Christ because of your brokenness. Isn't that amazing? Well, let's return a minute to those people I brought up in the beginning. Billy. I remember a week or so later, I saw Billy. He had on a new temple piece on his glasses. You know they made glasses so brittle back in those days. I wore glasses in second grade, and I can't tell you how many pairs of glasses I broke as a kid. But Billy got his glasses fixed. Isn't that good? We met up with Billy, and Billy, what what was going on, you know? Did you get in trouble? No, my dad, he was okay. He went and got it fixed, and I'm okay. The gentleman who very unwisely gave into temptation in his brokenness that day He did eventually lose his marriage, yes. However, that very day in my office, he prayed the prayer of repentance and came to know the Lord. Brokenness is brokenness, but God always has things he brings out of brokenness. What about the young man who very stupidly hit his wife? God got them through that. They worked through that. They went on. They had another beautiful child. They are now grandparents and a happy family. God takes brokenness. And you see, he only did that because in their brokenness, these people became broken before God. And God did only what God can do when we come to him broken. I love Christmas. Because of the Christ of Christmas who came as a little baby said to you and me, bring your brokenness to me and watch what I will make out of it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, you know each one of us and you know right now that person or two or three or four or more this morning that are facing something in their lives right now where they feel like it's just a broken situation. Father, I pray right now that they will put that into your hands. I pray that they will put their faith in you. I pray that, Lord, they will lift their heads and their chin and realize that with God, They will make it. 
And with God, He will bring something beautiful out of it. So I pray for them. I pray for that one this morning, Lord, or two or three or more that maybe finds himself in a broken situation because of some thing that they could do different right now, they would. But Lord, it's in the past. And if it needs to be covered by the blood, your blood will cover it. And it can be forgiven. And you call us to move forward. But in a contrite, with a contrite heart and spirit, Lord, we will trust in you. And you will pull us through. And you will make us what we can be through you. Whatever it would be this morning, Father, we just pray that we give it to you. Amen.